hi everybody. My name is Braden Osborne. Uh, I, my dad, Kevin, preaches here pretty often. Um, I lightly considered walking up here, like sticking my gut out and yelling at middle schoolers, but I figured that might be distracting. So we're not going to do that. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I graduated from MHS in 2016, and right now I'm going to the University of Cincinnati studying computer engineering. Um, and I have been coming to the greenhouse since it started. So I've gotten a pretty unique experience of getting to grow up in a church that's growing up too. Uh, I've bounced back and forth between here in Cincinnati for school and work, and I've tried to find a church down in Cincinnati that I feel comfortable in, and it's actually really hard because you guys are awesome. Um, I've gotten to experience life with a group of people who are all figuring it out together and who are really honest about where they're at. Um, and so in that spirit of honesty, let me be honest with all of you, I feel in no way qualified to be up here this morning. Um, you all have seen me at times that I've been childish, disobedient, ignorant, selfish, sinful. Um, and the idea of sharing truth with a group of people who have seen you believing lies is not really a comfortable thing. Um, so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that God has told him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And that's what I'm relying on today. Um, so before we go any further, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for bringing together such an awesome group of people. I thank you for the greenhouse and the fact that we're able to support each other at all times in our life. Lord, I ask you today um, to help me preach your truth. Lord, I ask that nothing I say today is through me, that it's all through you, and that you are the only person that receives glory. Amen. Um, so last week, Brian shared a psalm of David. Um, if, if you haven't been here, we've been going through psalms this summer, a psalm a week. Uh, and the psalm Brian shared was really interesting because David is often referred to as the man after God's own heart. He's considered one of the um, closest men to God. And we got to see what it looked like when the man after God's own heart experienced terrible, terrible tragedy. Um, last week, the psalm we went over was after David has dealt with the fact that one of his sons raped his daughter and then another son killed that son. Um, it's a level of dysfunction that is just mind-blowing and it's a terrible tragedy for him to have gone through. Um, and what we saw is David actually sustaining his faith through this. And the way he did that was by being honest with God, by asking God to help him through the pain, and by putting his faith in him. Uh, and what Brian concluded was we can't just be like David. That's not something we do naturally. Uh, ultimately, what it comes down to is the power of God letting us get through times like that. Um, that's the only way David was able to remain unwavering in his faith. And what it was is it was a powerful picture of God sustaining a broken man. Uh, but this week what I want to talk about is what it looks like when we feel like God's power is not there. Uh, what it looks like when we feel like that power is not going to be enough. So growing up in church was pretty interesting for someone with my personality. Uh, I am terrified of displeasing anyone. The idea of someone not liking me is enough to just set me into a total spiral. Like, it, it's not healthy. Um, and so imagine what it was like for me as a young child who learns that God wants me to do what he says. Uh, so in my mind, what that meant was if I don't obey God's 10 rules, he's going to hate me. Uh, and that's not what my parents preached to me. That's not what the church preached to me. I was told about faith and love and about grace. But in my mind, my mind ran away with it. And that was what I was worried about, that I was not good enough. Uh, so what that led to was a whole lot of late nights laying awake. Uh, late nights laying awake worried that God did not love me. Maybe I'm not actually saved. Uh, I would wonder why God felt so distant, and I would conclude that it was my fault. And I thought, maybe when I grow up, uh, then I'll feel close to God. That's when I'll really feel like he's there. 
Uh, I had only focused on my own ability to be perfect. I did not focus on who God was. And as I grew up, um, I grew less worried, but I grew more skeptical. Instead of lying awake wondering, maybe I'm not saved, I laid awake wondering, maybe everyone in the church is just kind of lying to themselves. Maybe he's not there. Maybe he doesn't care about me. Uh, I'd pray and ask God, please reveal yourself. I want to believe. But then I would magnify the times when I felt distant and diminish the times when I felt close to him, and it tore me apart. Um, I didn't stop going to church, but I stopped praying. Because I felt distant from God, I didn't try to go closer. Um, and there's a common thread between these two times in my life, and that's the fact that I felt abandoned. I let my feelings of distance from God draw me to the conclusion that he must not want to be close to me. I thought that that distance was too much, and I allowed myself to push farther away from him. And this isn't something that's unique to me. This is something that anyone who's tried to walk with Christ has experienced. We all feel distant from God at times in our life. Uh, we start doubting him, so we stop reading his word. We start experiencing fear, so we stop talking to him. And we experience loss, so we abandon the only true source of hope that we have. Uh, this also isn't something new. This is something you see time and time again in Scripture. After Christ dies, Peter loses hope, and, and he denies him. When the Israelites are trapped by Pharaoh's army, they actually want to go back to their old masters instead of following the master who brought them out of Egypt. And when Abraham and Sarah doubt God's promise for a son, they take matters into their own hands in a sinful way. All through Scripture and all through modern life, we see people distance themselves from God because he feels distant. And that's our natural reaction to feeling alone, is to do it all ourselves, to push away from anyone else, and to try to just stick to it. Um, but today I want to look at a different way of dealing with those feelings of distance and abandonment, because those feelings are not true. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 77. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. And it's up on the screen. In the day of trouble, I seek the Lord, to the choir master, according to Jedithon, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. Um, so the, word, the meaning of the word Selah is kind of an unknown thing, but some, a lot of people think that it separates the verses of a psalm kind of like verses of a modern song. So we're going to look at the psalm today in four sections separated by that word. Um, so this is a psalm of Asaph. Uh, as Josh talked about a couple weeks ago, Asaph was a singer and a seer uh, for the kings of Israel. He would have been of the tribe of Levi, appointed by David, and his responsibilities would have been to give wisdom to the kings and to lead temple worship. Uh, we, there are 12 psalms that are attributed to either him or his descendants. It's kind of uh, uh, not really sure. But other than that, we really don't know much about Asaph. We know a few basic family things, but we don't know the struggles he went through, the losses he experienced, or the different times in his life how he felt. Uh, but we do know something about him based on this psalm, and that is that he is a godly man, and he is in a terrible time in his life. Uh, it opens up, the psalm opens up with him crying aloud to God. That's something that I, I, some people are very good about. I know I'm not very good about talking to God out loud, but he's not just talking to him, he's crying out to him. And it says that his hands are outstretched, and that means that he's praying. That's how the Hebrew people prayed, was with both hands outstretched. Uh, and he's praying without wearying. He's staying up all night praying and praying and praying. And although he doesn't doubt God's hearing him, in verse 1 it says, 
and he will hear me. He knows that, but he does not feel comfort. He doesn't, he doesn't doubt God is there, but he still feels alone. And he's remembering the times in his life when God felt so close and it hurts. And he's trying to meditate on who God is, but his spirit grows faint. A lot like David in last week's psalm, Asaph is stripped down to nothing but his faith. He's got no, no, no power on his own to get through this. But unlike David, his faith is not bringing him comfort and peace right now. He's begging God to sustain him, but his spirit faints at night. And he knows God can hear him, but he still feels alone, like he's doing it on his own. And at first glance, the psalm seems like something very personal between just Asaph and God. It seems like he's crying out to the God who he feels has abandoned him, and it's just between them, but that's actually not why it was written. Uh, in the introduction, you can see it says, to the choir master. So this psalm was meant to be sung in the temple by everyone in the temple. It's referred to often as a community lament. So this was meant to be shared between the members of the temple. Um, and how often are we that honest with each other about how our spiritual lives are going? How often do we tell each other things like, I feel broken, my spirit is faint, I'm laying awake, I feel like God's not there. Uh, we live in a time when we are more connected, it's easier to communicate than ever, but if you look at our culture, things like suicide and depression rates are skyrocketing, and that's because we feel alone. What the culture we live in encourages us to put our best foot forward, to show everyone the best parts of our life, to give everyone a highlight reel, and to hide the fact that we are broken and weak people. At most, maybe in the church, we say things like, oh yeah, things are kind of rough right now, or I'm going through a dry season of life. But that's, that's not how this psalm works. This psalm is for a community to share the dark, deep parts of their life and to be with each other when they feel alone. So let's move on to verses four through nine. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. So far, Asaph has done everything right. He has prayed without ceasing. He's humbled himself before the Lord, and he's meditated on God's word. These are the things we're supposed to do when we're experiencing trials. These are the things we're supposed to do to get closer to God. But it says in the beginning of this section, you hold my eyelids open, I'm so troubled I cannot speak. It seems to Asaph that his cry to God has been ignored. And that's a lie that the enemy wants us to believe. That when we ask God for the power to get through something and we still feel bad things, that somehow we've been ignored, that he's abandoned us. So uh, a lot of you, any, anyone who I've done a Bible study with probably knows how I feel about C.S. Lewis. I've kind of like held people captive in a really bad way and just ranted about it and uh, read some confusing passages and wondered why everyone didn't get it. Um, and so one of, I'm not going to do that, um, but one of his works that have really touched my life are called the Screw Tape Letters. Um, and if you're not familiar with them, they'd be a little confusing, so let me explain what they are. Um, they're a series of fictional letters written from a demon to his nephew, who's also a demon. And what the point of them is that the nephew named Wormwood, his uncle's named Screwtape, has been tasked to make sure that a patient, a human on earth, is going to go to hell. He wants his, that is his purpose, is to send this man to hell. And the letters follow Screwtape as he attempts to impart some demonic wisdom to his nephew about how to best do that, how to best 
combat the angels protecting the man, and the way he's going to do that is by tempting, tormenting, and lying to him. So they're fictional letters. I and C.S. Lewis, no, no, no one's claiming to know how spiritual battle works or any of that. What they are is they're an illustration of the battle going on for our souls. So in one section of these letters, Uncle Screwtape has been informed that the patient on earth has started praying, and he's worried because he knows that prayer is a surefire way for the man to draw closer to God. He knows that that is a dangerous thing for the demon's cause because that's a good way for the man to have the Lord's support. And so what he, he writes to Wormwood, telling him how he can maybe corrupt the prayer, and this is what he writes. Keep the man watching his own mind, trying to produce feelings by the action of his own will. Teach him to estimate the value of each prayer by its success in producing the desired feeling. Never let him suspect how much success or failure of that kind depends on if he is well or ill, fresh or tired at the moment. That's what the enemy wants us to do, to trust our feelings. Our feelings lie to us. They do not tell us the truth. They're an earthly thing. And that is what Asaph is struggling with here. The enemy wants Asaph to trust his feelings of being weak and alone. But Asaph knows that his feelings are actually what's weak, and he decides to do something different. In verse 6, he asks God, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. He asks for God's power to continue remembering and meditating. In the first section, he tried to meditate, and he said his spirit fainted. Here, he sticks with it. He asks for God's power. Um, so before we go further, I want to clarify a little bit about what meditation means. It's not what you'd think about that you do in a yoga studio. Uh, the goal of meditation in a scriptural sense is not to clear your mind. It's actually the exact opposite. The purpose of meditation in scripture is to fill your mind with God. So in Joshua 1.8, God tells Joshua this. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. The word meditate is used 18 times in the ESV version of the Bible, but it only ever refers to three things, and that is meditating on God's power, his promise, and his law. Those are the only things that we're told to meditate on. Those are the only things we're told to fill our mind with. Asaph continues to meditate here because he knows that's where truth is going to be found, in the Lord's power, promise, and law. And this is a big tone change in the scripture. Um, this is where he stops focusing on his feelings and starts focusing on the truth. He doesn't try to produce a feeling of peace like Screwtape suggests in that quote. Instead, he decides to anchor himself in what he knows to be real. So what he does is he asks himself six questions here, and they're very important. It's, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Asaph asks himself these questions because the answer to them is all that matters. If God doesn't spurn, if God always loves, keeps his promises, shows grace, it does not matter how Asaph feels right now because he knows who God is. The only way that these feelings that he has could possibly be valid, the only way he could be alone is if God did spurn and wasn't favorable and wasn't gracious. So the reason Asaph knows the answer to these questions is because of the next section verses 10 through 15. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Yes, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made your might known among the people. 
You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. Asaph already knows the answers to the questions he asked because he knows who God is. At this point, <coughs> sorry, the words meditate and remember have each been used three times. In the first section, Asaph is trying to remember and meditate. In the second, he asks God for the power to do so. And in this final section, he is determined to do so. He says, I will ponder your work and meditate. Asaph has decided to keep meditating on who God is. He concludes in this section that God is great, wonderful, holy, mighty, redeeming, and gracious. He looks at how God treated his people. Israel constantly turned away from God, yet he pursued them. They constantly spurned them, but he redeemed them, and he showed grace even when they didn't ask. How much more, Asaph knows, is he going to be blessed by the Lord when he is crying out to him and asking for it? In Luke 11, Jesus says this, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the God Asaph is acknowledging here, the Lord who knows how to give good gifts, the God who gives the Holy Spirit. So a while back, Brian talked about preaching to yourself. That is what Asaph is doing here. He's ignoring the way he feels, and he is preaching truth to himself continually and asking God for the power to do so. So before we move to the final section of the chapter, um, I want to clarify one thing, and that's that this never says Asaph, Asaph stops feeling alone. Even though he's surrounding himself in the truth, it never says he feels close to God, and he knows how good and powerful God is, but it does not say he has stopped feeling lost. I want to read another part of the screw tape letters, um, and keep in mind these are demons talking here, so it's not the truth. Screwtape says this, Merely to override a human will would be for God useless. The creatures are to be one with him, but still themselves. He leaves the man to stand up on his own legs, to carry out from will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during such low periods that it is growing into the sort of creature God wants it to be. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. The enemy wants us to think we are doing this on our own when we feel that way, that when we feel far from God, we're truly abandoned. That's a lie. And like many lies, there is some truth. Yes, when we are in the low periods of our life, God is forming us into the person he wants us to be. And yes, it can feel at times like we're doing it on our own. But our feelings lie to us. The enemy lies to us. God does not lie to us. In Deuteronomy 31.6, it says this. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. God's promise is that he's with us. So in the end, when we feel far from God, no amount of logic or reasoning is going to make us feel closer. What it comes down to is faith that one day you will feel close again. In one of the darkest hours of Asaph's life, when he feels abandoned by the Lord, this is how he concludes his psalm. Verse 16. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Asaph concludes this psalm with worship. He doesn't worship God for the way he feels right now. He worships God for who he is and what he's done. 
this, this isn't how I would react to a situation where I feel distant from God. My, my first reaction is not to worship, and I would venture to say that is the least human thing you can do, is to worship when you feel distant. It's only a, a, it can only happen through God's power. It's not something we can do. So um, while the demons in the screw tape letters do often lie, they occasionally stumble onto the truth. After instructing his nephew to force the patient as far away from God as possible, Screwtape warns him of one final way that they could fail. This is what he says. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never in more danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks around a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, asks why he's been forsaken, yet still obeys. He's right. The enemy's cause is never in more danger than when we choose to worship and obey God, even when it feels like he's not there right now. Like Asaph, what we have to do is make a diligent search for the truth, examine who God is, ignore our feelings, and worship him anyways. Through his power, we can choose to worship in the darkest valleys of our life. We are not alone in this life. God is with us, and nothing is going to change that. So when you want to believe you've been abandoned, don't lose hope. Know that one day your eyes will be open. You'll see that God was there with you even in the times of your life when you felt alone. But in the meantime, all that we can do is examine who we know God is and make the decision to worship him. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you again for this group of people. Lord, at times in our life, it can feel like we're alone and it can feel like we're doing this all by ourselves. But Lord, I ask you to help us going forward to remember that we're never alone to remember that we're surrounded by people who follow you, and we are surrounded by you even when we feel like we're in a dark valley. Lord, I ask you to help us to remain unwavering in our faith, to serve others even when we don't feel like we are being served, and to go forward and be an example of you. Amen.